Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, I'm Ross Kemp. Over the last 18 years, I've made some 90-odd documentaries predominantly in hostile environments, from Afghanistan to Syria, from El Salvador to the Congo. And it's fair to say that during that time, I found myself in a few interesting situations. I've been shot at, tear gassed, had knives pulled on me and spears thrown at me. But in all those years, what's impressed me the most is the resilience of the human spirit. Our ability, no matter where we're from, to overcome and make it through to the other side. So, in my new series, The Kempcast, I'll be talking to some incredible individuals who all have engaging stories to tell and have themselves overcome some extremely tough moments in their lives. Right now, we're living in unprecedented times and we should be doing all we can together to get through this as safely as possible. I hope that if you subscribe to the Kempcast and hear how my guests overcame their toughest moments, it may help you overcome yours, whether you're going through one right now or you're faced with one in the future. Joining me today is ex-professional surfer, influencer and presenter Laura Crane. In 2018, she became a household name after appearing in ITV2's popular TV show, Love Island. I hope you enjoy listening. And please note that this episode was recorded just before the sad passing of Caroline Flack. Laura, you're pretty good at surfing, aren't you? I'm not bad. My first national title I got when I was 14. So and what age group was it? Was that just... It was, that was for 14 year olds or for? Yeah, no, no, under 14s. Uh, yeah. Um, and then the following year, I was 15. Sorry, you got, you got the under 14s when you were 14. You must have got that when you were 13. So yeah, 13. Yeah no, yeah. no, actually, I got the under 14s when I was 12. Oh, right. And then I got on the following year, or however many years after, yeah. I won the under 14s, under 16s, and women's open. All right. It's such a long time ago now. But you, you, so you were open champion. You have been yeah. the best female surfer in the United Kingdom. Yeah, yeah. For well, I and I carried on with those titles until I moved to France and started doing the European tour, um, and I didn't compete in the UK anymore. So Billabong sponsored me when I was twelve. What kind of pressure is that when you're twelve? Um, it was my dream. I was like a nightmare. At Hang school. on, you're twelve. You're twelve. Yeah, but I think I'd always done loads of sports growing up. I did motocross horse riding, gymnastics, like swimming. I ran competitively. So I'd done literally all of them. 
Um, but surfing was the was the one that kind of I felt like I had an escape from. I was really struggled at school. I wasn't very academic. Um, so it was kind of like my outlet to just, yeah. That so, was so, I, I how, so you're born in Bristol, right? Yeah. Um, it's got some water, but not necessarily a lot of surf. Yeah, no. <laughs> Doesn't the seven once a year have this kind of tidal wave that comes down? People actually do surf. Like seven board, you get seven really board. sick after it. Yeah, but if have you, you done it? No, no, I've never done it. But I've had mates. Well, that when have you done say it. sick, you mean you get what Viles disease? Or oh, something. you just get like ill. Like you're you're puking for like the next two days if you, you just, drink like that. We'll come on to actually the environment because I'm mm -hmm. pretty sure that you've travelled to, to enough seas now to notice just how much damage we've we've yeah. done to our oceans, but. So there you are, your UK champion, open UK champion. Did you encounter I mean, all these people that have been there for so many years? All of a sudden, this this young kid comes along. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? She's only yeah. just started a couple of years ago, and now she's open champion. How how were you received? Um, at the start, like definitely at the start of my surfing career, really well. Everyone was like, "Oh, there's like this new girl that's like coming through, like really quickly improving." It was great, and then I think. I was one of the first girls to ever get sponsored by a big brand. So Billabong sponsored me pretty soon on. Um, and then as I started traveling and kind of like making money from surfing, there was definitely a lot of like jealousy and everyone was a little bit more hostile. And I how, kind of, how did that manifest itself? Um, I think because I was, I was also modeling for Billabong. So I was doing all their kids range, like modeling their clothes and stuff, which at that point was like such fun. We'd literally just like rip around on mopeds and like be traveling around and just having photos. 12, 13. That's a lot happening for 12 <laughs> stroke 13. I mean, they are really, really kind of well, like very important years in terms of particularly females' development. They're all pretty important for male as well, but it sort of happens a bit later generally mm -hmm. for boys, as they say. But so there you are developing really from a girl into a woman, as it were, um, and you're traveling around on scooters, motorcycles, <laughs> surfboards, going to exotic locations and having your photograph taken. I mean, keeping your feet on the ground, literally keeping your feet on the ground. Yeah, trying to when when, when possible. Um, I don't know. I think it, it literally been my dream since I first got a surfboard at the age of nine. I knew that was all I wanted. Like I wanted to just do that. And like I said, I hated school and it kind of just... It, yeah, I just want to do that, but that didn't happen for me. <laughs> I mean, I trained a lot. I trained hard and I was, I, I think my dad was a professional athlete and I... So what did your dad do? He was a professional runner. Oh, right. So he ran 1,500 metres, yeah. Um, so I'd always had that mentality of if you're going to succeed in something, like it is your, it's your all, you know, of a sport. And dad was never pushy. Mum, they were like, you know, you're like good at your sports and that's great. Um, they always made sure that I was still like doing school bits and stuff like that. But were they, were they worried about you academically? You, you said you, you, you struggled. As in, I struggled as in I wasn't the brightest in the class. And for me, I'm so competitive mm -hmm. that if I'm not great at something or like the best, it Are was you like, I don't even want to do it. You've had a few of those through the doors. Um, I, you, if, if you're not going to, if you can't give this thing 100%, yeah, I'm not no, going to no, do I it. Don't, I'll don't. cut away from that and I'll go and do something else where I can be very successful at it and give it my all. Yeah. Well, I just, my was I enjoyed it so much that I wanted to, I wanted to be the best at something that I really enjoyed, you know. What did, you, what did the kids at school think? Um, it was really weird. At school, because I was already traveling so much so young that we had tutors that traveled with us when we were traveling with Billabong. So they'd kind of like- Well, Billabong sponsored, sponsored t-shirts for you. 
not like sponsored t-shirts, but we'd like take work with us. Like we'd have we'd have to do like hours of work while we were away. Like well, who was who was tutoring you? So like our team managers would make sure that it was all being done. But they're because they're like your parents. You travel with them for like six months of the year, so they they're literally like your parents and your sisters, like the girls. And, and that you travel because with. your your father, as you say, came from a sporting background, he was quite happy and quite quite sure that you'd be safe in that kind of environment yeah they'd they'd met like billabong had been around me since i was like 12 years old so they they have to put in you know they have to put in trust and billabong also on the other side they had to they had to kind of instill that into mum and dad and make sure that they knew like yeah we are taking your daughter like to the other side of the world and she's gonna be surfing waves and she's gonna be doing like a lot of dangerous things but you know, I think I have so much respect for my parents because I honestly don't know if I'd be able to do that when I have kids. But for them to just be like, okay, like we've got to let her go. This is like what she, you know, you, we can't stop I, her I doing can understand letting, letting them go when you're about 16. It's it's a big gap between 12 and 16. For, to be fair, from 12 to 13, I wasn't like full-time traveling. I was backwards and forwards. Like do, right. do it, it was Everything was a bit more in Europe and then we'd have like two or three big trips to Hawaii and Australia every so year. So you've been to Hawaii? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really annoying me. <laughs> Where are the best waves? Mm, for me, like my favorite place to surf is Portugal or yeah. uh, Mexico is sick. Yeah? Yeah. It's just like quiet. I think it's the vibe of everything. Like the people are super Whereabouts chill. Whereabouts in Mexico? Um, so Watoku. Don't know. So it's kind of, you'd never go there unless you surfed. It's like right. that kind of vibe. I was, I, I got lost. I was open water once for nine hours in the Baja Peninsula. I don't tell many people. Yeah, the well, it's uh, Baja de la Cruz. Yeah, it's yeah. that same. So you find yeah, the bottom yeah, of yeah. the pass. It's right there. And yeah. then we got on a yacht like you do. I, have to, I won't tell you how rich this family are, but they're one of the richest families on the planet. And um, they wanted to go um, uh, for open water spear fishing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the closest I got to water was going over Albert or Chelsea Bridge, <laughs> right? And in those days, I used to smoke Marlboro Lights, which I hate to this day, the idea of the fact that I ever smoked. I didn't smoke all the time, but I did. So the idea of like emptying my lungs and trying to go down one meter was high, and they were going down like 12 meters and then trying to shoot oh my God. very, very big fish. Anyway, I said to them, I'm going to try and fin back to the boat. I tried to swim nine nautical miles against an outgoing tide, right? There's no one about. They've got special permission to be in this area. The Baja, the actual length of Baja, the actual peninsula that goes inland is the length of Britain. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah no. We're like, so I'm like, we're, half, we're in Middlesbrough, right? And I'm trying to get to London, literally. No, I'm not. I'm trying to do eight miles against the tide. I, I told the bloke on the boat, on the rib, that I would be if you couldn't if you couldn't see me I'd be the beyond the boat but look for me on the way back but I should thought I was so sure that I'd make it back I can hear them bzzz, it's now gone dark right <laughs> I've still got my weight belt on right I'm so dehydrated I'm you still get the weight belt on nice nice really Good. clever yeah really clever yeah <laughs> I've still got my spear gun oh, why not. Well, you never know. You might it's really handy. Sharks. Well, no, 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 no. But sailfish came up past me, and then I've got two seals swimming next to me. Now we know what. Who likes to eat seals? Sharks. Great white sharks, yeah, right? Basically. That place is full of white sharks because it's full of seals. <laughs> and who's the fattest seal in the ocean? <laughs> Kempi. Do you know what? They eventually found me. I was whistling. I was like, going, you know, you, you listen to like props underwater. You that, yeah. I'm whistling. I'm screaming. I'm shouting. When the two guys had got back to the boat, right? My wife, my then wife, was on the boat, right? So they they washed off. They hung up the fish they'd caught. They went downstairs. They all had a kip. They all come back up for dinner, right? Bear in mind, I was gone like seven, eight hours, right? Right? They all sit down for dinner. 
right? And they're like going, oh, Ross and, Ross and his wife have had an argument. So obviously he's staying in his cabin. So they only get to the main course before they go. So Ross not eating then. I thought Ross was out with you. I thought he was still out in the boat. Uh, uh. Oh my God. And they found no. me. Obviously they found me. Otherwise I would still I'd be shark food. <laughs> anyway, that was my boring story for so today. So you're good, at, good swimmer then? I've got a lot of buoyancy. Let's put it that way. Well, not with that weight belt on. <laughs> Keep the weight belt on. What was that about? Weirdo. Real weird. But anyway, going there, so, so Mexico is best for you. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and, and 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 you know, tell me on your travels around the world, and and, and I've travelled a little bit as well. Um, you know, I've just noticed in the in the twenty five years that I, you know I was making docks, I have been making docks, is that just just the filth in our oceans. I mean, I did one, I did a film about piracy, so you know, we're in the um, uh, Bight of Benin, um, we went up to Malacca Straits. The amount of plastic mm. in the in the oceans is it's, just shocking, yeah, isn't it? Do you not think that all those big companies, and I just want to aim at Billabong, but all those big surf companies and all those all those kind of marine type sports companies, they should be doing something a bit more? It's like it's honestly been a battle. We should be doing for, a bit more. Yeah, no, for sure. Um I lived in Bali for two and a half years. I moved back in two thousand or twenty one, so yeah, three years ago, four years ago. Um and it's been a massive issue for years, obviously. They they hide it so well for such, well, they hid it for so long for, you know, just to kind of make Bali look beautiful and make sure people were coming in and doing mm. tourism and, you know, kind of building the country up, which now it's booming and like tourism is amazing and they're really thriving. Um, but then the ocean plastic, you kind of, you can't hide from anymore. You can't not see it. I was literally there two weeks ago and every single time I go back, you see it more and more and more. And on the surface of everything, they're hiding it, you know, in like these nice bougie new restaurants. You don't see anything. And if you go out to the back of it, they, you know, there's Piling plastic everywhere. But they're in the front being like, oh, but we use bamboo straws. Yeah, yeah. You know, so there's like a real like miscommunication between like the tourism and then the actual like local people because but when also I they're going to go for the cheapest option. Well, yeah, for sure. Plastic, right? But it will always be the cheapest option for them right now. But when I was, I went into a few schools when I lived there and we kind of tried to, you know, teach them at the, at the start because it's a generation thing. You know, if you're going in and telling parents to go and do this, they're like, well, we've been doing this for years. So it doesn't matter. Yeah, but and if also you go who, and who tell are you kids, to tell me? Yeah. So um, we went in and we were kind of, you know, trying to just give them just more information because I feel like that's something that they lack so much. Mm. Um, and there, there has been a massive difference, you know, like the, the governments there have been putting more recycling and they are doing more, but it's it's the it's the rubbish coming in from elsewhere, you know. They're, they're obviously creating a lot, but it's all coming in from like so many different places. And But would you say that in the time, and you've been doing this for, for, for some years now, you know, travelling around the world, spending a lot of time in oceans, in yeah. different oceans, that you've seen an increase, personal increase? Massively. Even um, last Christmas, or this Christmas just gone, Mum and I were walking at the in the beach in Devon. It was really sad, actually. There was um, two little girls on the beach just walking with their mum with a little bucket, and um, they were like picking bits up. And when me and mum walk on the beach with the dog, we always pick bits of litter up and just you know yeah. bits you can see like big bits. Um, and these two young girls were like kind of like sif sieving through the sand. So I like walked over and I was like, oh, we like thought they were looking for shells. And they were sieving through and getting all the tiny little, they're called balls. nerdles, like the little mini, balls. like my, like tiny plastics. 
And they made they were making like sandcastles and like bits like that, and they were playing around. And I said to mum, I was like, because we used to go there every weekend as kids and make sandcastles there, and it was crazy. It was like they were making sandcastles, and they were kind of like dotted with like little like plastic bits. And I said to my mum, like, it, you never used to visually see it, you know, like it's there, it's everywhere. Like you literally look through the sand and not see like a patch with like all these little like dots in. Um, so even like on my home beach in the UK, which is meant to be like blue flag beach and like really mm. clean and like fantastic, even there, you know, like we're, we're, you can't get away from it now. Like the, every like the fish are eating it, the birds are eating it. Like every, like they're dying from these things, and it's on our doorstep. Like we like there is no hiding from it now. Mm. Um, but do you think there's enough being done about it? No, but you know, for I was like coming out of I did Love Island and. I came out of there and you get offered all of these crazy clothing deal brands and it's a lot of fast fashion, which I point blank have always said no to. And I cannot just because of what I believe in and my environmental beliefs. It just, it doesn't, you know, I'd be a massive hypocrite to take so the money. So you turn down a lot of cash? Then? Oh yeah. It, that was the hardest thing was like <laughs> well, something that about you that, really yeah. believe in, like really like my hand on my heart, like it really like yeah, yeah. upsets me like a lot, you know, this is like, mm -hmm. The ocean gave me everything I have, kind of thing. Go back to Love Island, though. So you, you, the first time you were offered it, you turned it down, right? Yeah. Why'd you turn it down? Um, I think I'd gone through a few like mental health kind of struggles when I finished competing, and like during. Yeah. Um, and then I kind of I went I moved back to Portugal and just had like a two years of like regrouping, like figuring out like next move whether I was gonna either go back to competing. Um, or whatever I was going to do next. I kind of sat there and chatted to my manager that first year and I was like, no, maybe this year I go back to, maybe I go back to competing or maybe I just don't want to do like, maybe I just want to like make a surf school and just teach lessons at the beach. That is a nice option, can I? Oh yeah, no, it's still there, don't worry. <laughs> can I come? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I've always wanted to learn yeah, surf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But let's go back. So, so you said no first time because why? I just wasn't, I just didn't Mentally think I was ready. Yeah. And I knew it was going to be a massive thing. And I'd always said to myself, if I was ever going to go on such like a big platform, it's biggest, I needed to know. It's one of the reality shows, exactly. particularly for your age group, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I needed to know exactly who Laura Crane was. I knew I wasn't like those other girls and I wasn't like glam and like cute and like doing all those like girly bits. So but you're I was a model. Like, you're a good looking lady. But I was always like an athletic model. Like yeah, I yeah, was, sure. you know, so for me, it was making sure that no matter what anybody said about me when I came out or when I was in there, that I was like, you know what? I don't care because like, this is me and I'm proud of me. And I've gone on there to be something different. So the first time you said no because of that, then yeah. what made you to say yes the second time? Um, I just in Portugal, like surfing every day. And I think because I wasn't really doing much in that year. And I'd been like seeing other people kind of like go into that show and like come out and just all do kind of like very similar things, which is fab. Like some people have got like amazing careers out of it and they've done so well. But I think I really struggled in seeing that there was no one on there for kind of like 15 year old Laura to like when I was going through like all my changes and stuff. And, you know, I was like a massive tomboy. There was no one really for like 15 year old Laura to look up to in that show that mm. I felt. Um, so I just, yeah, I, I kind of wanted to go in and just be like, Hey, like you can have broad shoulders. Like you can be in the pool all day. Like you don't have to like brush your hair, like, and do all the curling bits and like makeup. I, and I've all rolled those. that out of my life. You know? Well, yeah, no, you're, you're fine. You got it easy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, no, it was just, to, I just wanted to go in there and kind of be something different and yeah. Inspire girls that yeah, well, got a bit you, confused. Did you, you know? did you, did you do that? Do you think? Yeah. I, I had honestly like coming out of there so many messages from girls being like, how many? 
like hunt like thousands thousands Thousand. and even now you know like they see a surf video and they're like wow it's so nice that, you know just to see mm. a girl like go out and like do their thing and be like strong and like powerful and you know not cow down in like a male dominated sport and those is things. it male, how, how male dominated is it crazy <laughs> like, so it's all about blokes yeah. right yeah but also i, I mean could not a woman be as good as a bloke at that sport? I mean, it's one of the things where you possibly could do because it's your ability yeah, to, sure. to hit the right wave, surely. I think it, a lot of the time it comes down to like power, as in like like physical strength, strength. Um, which is is what makes... Because surfing is about... The criteria of like a wave is to surf a wave with speed, power and flow and like technicality. So the more power you have in like your body the faster you go so usually guys will be a more powerful um surfer but that's not to say that you know these girls are like pushing all the boundaries like they're surfing waves that are like how tall i think maya last year did like i think she did like 80 feet oh get out of here yeah 80 feet and dude this chick is like beautiful and she like walks down the beach puts on her vest and she's like out there with, Where's with she all from? the boys Where's she's she? from brazil right 80 and, feet mm -hmm. are, are this, are these are the kind of waves that people get towed up, towed up yeah. to yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. And whereabouts are the 80 foot waves this one was in nazare so it's like an hour and an, an hour and a half no, no 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 in portugal an hour and i didn't know where that is yeah so 80 foot waves in portugal yeah between um porto and lisbon on that on that like coast yeah, so chicks are doing it like they're going for it. Is the sponsorship different? So, I, you know, for instance, in tennis, we do know that, you mm -hmm. know, and in many other sports, you know, where women compete in different areas, that the, the sponsorship is less. If you're a man, yeah, uh, well, I think Federer earns more money than the Williams, even though they're, they're probably quite both well off. They're not worrying about yeah, yeah, no, they're, about they're paying, paying, <laughs> they're paying, paying for the holiday next year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when I first started surfing, girls were doing things to look like boys. We were wearing long board shorts, we were wearing like long t-shirts and we were trying to be like the boys. Mm -hmm. And then actually it was my generation of surfing that Instagram came in when we were 15 and our sponsor said, okay girls, because you're model, you model for the brand and you're like marketable, but you also compete and you're professional athletes. You have two sides of your contract. So you're, you know, one is your one is you being an athlete, and the other one is you being a model. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But we didn't give like the modelling bit was kind of you know part and parcel. We did it to keep Billabong happy, but we were athletes. Like that was like what we grew up doing and loving. And then Instagram kind of came in, and we started wearing like shorter shorts and like more bikinis. And then all of a sudden, we were like, you know what? We sunbathe in the on the beach in a bikini, so why don't we just surf in our bikinis? And it was a it was well, a mainly because it's freaking cold if you're trying to do that. Oh in, yeah, well, uh, I wasn't Nuki. living here. <laughs> um, and then there was a massive shift because all of a sudden we had like the girls that were competing against us that maybe weren't so marketable and like weren't doing the modeling mm. and like weren't so like putting themselves out there kind of thing. Um, was, were getting really jealous because we were getting bigger sponsorship deals and kind of things money, like that. Even though they might be better surfers, yeah? And then it kind of crossed into the competitive and into the competitive side being like, oh, that judge only gave you that because you're cute and like you're hot and they fancy you. So it, it all kind of like merged into Did it this, get nasty? Like, oh, surfing got bitchy. Imagine you're Go all the like traveling so I wanna, together. I want to hear it. All right, so I traveled with five girls, um, like Billabong, like my Billabong team. It was me, 
an American girl, a Hawaiian and two Australians. We were like sisters. We had like all the same clothing, the same brand. So we'd literally pack up, leave Hawaii and it would all go into like like a suitcase, just yeah, like yeah, chucked yeah, yeah. in. It, we call it the floor drobe because everywhere we'd arrive, we'd literally just like on floor, the floor drobe it. Yeah. Um, but we'd still manage to have arguments about like one piece of clothing. They're like, that was mine. I'm like, we've all got the same shit. Like, chill. I wouldn't say it never got nasty because you're your family. You travel together the whole time. I'll tell you what, it gets but nasty with my family. <laughs> there was, you know, the hardest thing was is your sisters, you're traveling, you're like all your bits that you're going through, you're growing up, you're like in your, you know, yeah. fundamental years of like changes. Um, the hardest thing I think was they're your best mates and you're your sisters, but they're also your competitors. Predators, yeah. So that's an odd one, isn't it? Yeah, that was really tough. So you're training together every single day in the sea, out of the water and then you're eating dinner you're like doing all the things you're hanging out as like really mates close, you're traveling together the whole, literally for nine months of the year we traveled on tour together um and yeah i don't know how we're still mates now are you still mates <laughs> yeah. now yeah so so you, you've been through all that but you said you talked about you know we we have on this podcast we talk about toughest moments and i know you're, you're 25 but you have had a few haven't you what was the toughest um, I think kind of making the decision whether to stay in my sport and, you know, potentially go back into the mental, um, kind of like areas that I was in that I really struggled, um, or just to say, you know what, I'm just going to do something new and I'm going to put everything into it and I'm going to do something completely new. I think that for a professional athlete that's, you know, never really gone to like college or uni or, you know, it's all I'd ever known. You can still um, do that now. Yeah, yeah. Oh God, I'm good on it. But <laughs> but then what I'm saying is where are you, you know, you see your mental health. Mm. I mean, give me an example of where you were. So obviously, like I said, I was a model, but I was also a professional athlete. Mm. So I was making money from modeling, but also you know, the thing that I lived for was my sport mm. um, and trying to, you know, at the age of 16, trying to balance those two body types that I thought I was meant to have. So on one side of the spectrum, I thought I was meant to be this like skinny model because I was with Models One in London as well at the time. So I was shooting like for other brands and stuff. And then on the other side of it, I had to be as strong as possible because I was a professional surfer and I was, you know, Mm. surfing these waves and doing all these things so I think that balance of like not really knowing like how I or who I was meant to be or like did was I meant to be what Billabong wanted me to be as like an athlete or did they want me to be more a model and then Instagram well, were you being came pulled in by those all, two different forces yeah yeah for sure and then when I, I say that I mean not just sorry were you being pulled by those different forces and I don't necessarily mean because you wanted to be good at one or be good at the other were there actual people saying you've got to look like this and you've got to behave like that. Yeah. So at a very kind of youngish age, you've got dominant factors in your life pulling you north and south. Mm -hmm. Well, this is when it all kind of, like I said, with like the Instagram and social media, when that kind of all came in, they used to use their athletes for all the modeling stuff and all like their kind of... Um, mm. Endorsement. Uh, yeah, well, no, like the... Um, like the photo shoots for like the catalogue and all that kind of stuff mm. on like the billboards was all athletes and girls on surfboards. And then it kind of switched as kind of social media came in and they wanted to perceive this like new kind of surf girl because before every like surf girls, if you look at surf girls in like I don't know, mid nineties, they're like, you know, blokes, like they're big, big girls. And um, 
they're like you know trying to look like the guys they wanted to be like men they wanted to prove themselves to the boys and then it kind of had that shift and then I think when it had that shift we were all a bit like oh my god okay so now they're using skinny models to do the job we used to do and that had an effect on you mentally. Oh, massive all five of us and you know the craziest thing was because we were sisters but competitors I had I had really bad bulimia one of the other girls had like basically didn't eat and the other the other two had like really suicidal thoughts was depressed and we never spoke about it until about a year ago um just so even because you were it there, was weakness you know to talk yeah. about, let's talk about uh bulimia um you know what i mean, we're looking this up just now it looks like twice as many people over the last seven years have ended up in hospital with eating disorders yeah do you would you would you say that's something that you find shocking or do you just no, think, I think, that, I think that's the way things are going? Do you think social media plays a part? In massively, that? massively. You're, it's a con you're basically flicking through and just comparing the whole time. And even now, you know, I've had my struggles and I see myself comparing myself to other people. I'm like, Laura, why? Like, why, why are we, in f why, so why does social media, and when we're using it here now, I'm hopefully using it um, to be entertaining and informing, why does it create such, comp such competition in terms of body shape? Because the thinner you are, the more attractive you are, the more successful you are. Is that it? I don't know. I think it all goes in trends, doesn't it? You had first you had the Kardashians, and they were all about having a big bum and a small waist and big boobs, mm. which realistically is, is all an unattainable goal unless you've had surgery and like you've got a trainer that trains you like three times a week and does it like you know to fit your body type. People can't afford these kinds of things, you know. Yeah. But why does it? Why does the bod, the body shape on social media create? so many issues for so many young people who, who who who's who's influencing it is it fashion or is it actually the people on social media no it's, it's the influencers the influencers are there photoshopping half the time yeah everything well, is now photoshopped on instagram so you're using this app and it takes you what 10 minutes at home however long it takes you to photoshop something and then you've got these young like impressionable girls that are sat at home being like oh my god how am i meant to look like that you can't 
What would you say if someone's listening to this now and they're um, they're bulimic? What would you say? <sighs> to get help straight mm. away. I think as soon as I told my parents and well, they actually found out, but as soon as they knew, you know, there's such easy, simple ways to get better. Um, and it's a, it's not easy. It's not overnight. And it's you keep working and you fail once. But you fail you, what you're saying is that like for many things, for many issues, whether it be of any addiction, mm -hmm. really, is the first step and the hardest step is to start talking about it. For sure, one hundred percent. And even you know, I've relapsed and I've had you know times when it's come back and it's embarrassing, especially for somebody like me who's like quite competitive with themselves. It feels like failure when you relapse but the most important thing is when you relapse is to speak about it again mm. and not just be like oh because it's really easy I think with these kinds of things to speak in past tense and kind of say I used to have bulimia I used to struggle with mental health to mentally make you feel like you're better but actually you're just covering it up again so I think the most important times are when you first kind of address it and you've spoken about it once mm. is to when you do relapse because it you know I personally think bulimia for me is something that in a way I will always carry with me. The thoughts. The reason that I, like that my bulimia got so bad was because it was a control thing. I was living such a transient life. I was mm -hmm. kind of, one day I was in Hawaii, next day I was flying to Oz. Then which which to most people listening to this sounds absolutely idyllic, yeah. but actually it is <laughs> no, a boy, No, no, especially for like a kid when you're that age, not even knowing where you're going to be tomorrow night, where you're going to sleep, let you what know. country you're going well, They knew. They knew like two days before, but then they weren't sure like what flight we were going to be on, all those kinds of things. So I think the bulimia is like a control thing. You, when your life is so kind of everywhere and like Chaotic, stressful, yeah. this it was, was something this thing that, you that, could that I could do that you could control. Eat, purge, like so you eat like a lot and then you like vomit and you kind of have this, it's really weird, but you have this sense of like, okay, I'm in control of just this one thing. So everything else can seem so kind of out of control and crazy, mm. but you have control over this one small tiny part of your life and it makes you feel but then it starts to control everything else because you then start not wanting to eat in certain places and you know that you've got to make sure that you find a toilet to go to straight after you've eaten and it it very very quickly overtakes kind of anything else so you say it's it's a sort of it's, it was something that you could control yourself in a sea of chaos this was the one thing that you you had control yeah. of and how did you get over it or you say you never get totally over anything yeah, i yeah. guess um my, I'm really close to my family, even though I'd obviously traveled for a long time. They'd, you know, we're, we are a really close family. Mm. I would always call and we chat. Um, and my, I was living in Bali at the time when I was at my illness, when it, it got quite dangerous. And dad literally called me. He was like, you're on the next flight home. Otherwise, I'm, I'm coming there. I'm, I'm coming to get you. And that was it. I literally like packed my bags from Bali. And I think it was the, that flight home literally was the worst. Was it? Tell me. <laughs> Just sitting there and being like, wow, I actually have to confront this for the first time gonna in tell, my life. I'm going to have to talk about this. Yeah, as soon to as my mum and my dad. I think that was like really hard. For me How old? I was 21. So I'd had it from 16 <sighs> till 21. And so, I, so you've been doing that for five years? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like puking like six times a day. Like, it's also going to hurt your insides, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, burn yeah. you. Oh, the, the like effects it had on, on the body. I didn't have a period for, for like three and a half years. And... It, you you know this thing that scared me most was when I was just leaving Bali. I was so stressed that I literally just didn't eat for like almost a week. What? Yeah, and you. St I've like done three days. Yeah, I did three days without food once, and honestly, and training. I was still surfing. I, no, man, like, I, it wasn't training. I was yeah, just yeah, trying. Yeah. It was in a very hot climate, and there was just no food. But shit, sorry. yeah, crazy. 
week without food. But And also because you're surrounded by it as well. I mean, the reason I didn't eat food was because there was no food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, that, literally that flight home, I was like, wow, I'm actually going to have to sit down with my parents and be like, yeah, I've hidden this for you from, for five years. I just didn't want them to feel like by them letting me go and like live my dream and do the thing that I love that they'd kind of failed and that they'd made a mistake. Cause I knew that's, I knew that's how they'd, you know, that how they'd feel. Like they blame it on themselves. That's how parents always feel. Yeah. So that was really, really hard. And I think, you know, the moment it was, was seeing well, my hopefully dad. that's how parents should yeah, feel. Yeah. yeah. Seeing my dad sat on the end of my bed and literally say to me, like crying, and like my dad, like, he's not a big cry. Like, no, he's like, like me fresh and my athlete, dad, right? Like, yeah, Don't yeah. Be tears. And like, not much emotion between like me and my dad. Like, he's my, like, idol. But um, seeing him sat there and crying, and he was like, I'm not letting, he was like, I'm not letting you do this. You know, like, he told me, he was like, it's not fair on like us. And also, I'm, I will not let you sit there and like just kill yourself. Like, it's, it's selfish. Mm. And I was like, Okay, yeah, because I thought this was all about me. And the moment that I realized it, it was like affecting other people and it kind of took all the pressure like off me a little bit in a weird way. And well, I was like, because you're, well, you're actually it, coming clean, aren't well, you? Well, yeah, and then so I was like, yeah, I'm going to do this for them because I had such little self-worth at that moment. I was like, So I there you care. are. But you're, so you, so you're, you've been a national champion. You're competing European. You're, you know, the billabong lady and you've got no self-esteem. Yeah. Zero on the floor, like literally nothing. Um, Which for most people, including myself, sounds ridiculous. Oh, me too. Even now, bonkers. Like when I look back, I'm like, how? Like how did Bill you get there? Bill of bonkers. Yeah, exactly. Called, yeah? <laughs> um, but yeah, then slowly, I, I mean, I spent a long time like read like a million self-help books and really just rebuilt my personality because I had nothing. I was literally like this walking, eating disorder. I had, there was no aspect of like, Laura anymore like this fun bubbly girl that I was when I was you know growing up and doing these things it just kind of disappeared and my mum she said to me she was like it was so sad like you didn't laugh for ages and it was really weird to like have you at home and like because usually when I'd go home I'd like kind of fake it and be like oh yeah fine yeah, yeah, sure. um and then yeah literally just rebuilding my personality like back and kind of molding myself into how I wanted to be as a person and it sounds really weird but I knew this like Mexican kid from like growing up and he had this kind of personality where he'd walk into any room and he could just light it up and I was like I want to be like that and I remember speaking to my therapist and she said you have you have the capability to do that this is your life you can be who you want to be if you want to if you want to be like the person that you know can light up a room but also by doing that you have to also make sure that you're not doing it for other people because I think that was always a really easy thing for me to do was like kind of fake it and like be like the life of the party and really, really happy to like kind of hide how I was actually feeling. Um, but yeah, it was, the recovery was the one of the hardest things in my life was having bulimia, but I'm so grateful for the journey that I had from it. Do you get a lot of people on social media talking about it to you who've got it or are you helping people in a way um, about, I'm just talking about it now you're helping people yeah yeah no definitely I have especially when I do things like this where I speak about it so openly and I you know my thing is I don't want it it shouldn't be an embarrassing thing no. you know I don't think there was a time when I remember sitting at home being like this is like the worst thing I can't believe anyone's ever going to find out about it and it was actually the week well, it's after. It's also not like a new condition. Yeah, it's, no, it's, it's been, been around for years. It's been around, well, yeah, for, like for ever. longer. Like, yeah. And I think the less stigma like, around it, the easier it is to get better, the easier it is to talk about it and things mm, like that. And totally. I'm not embarrassed about it anymore. And if I was to relapse tomorrow or next week or in, you know, 10 years, 
I hope by like by then it's a completely normal thing to speak about and be able to just go and like chat to your mate and be like, oh, I did this, this the other what day, you're doing, you know? isn't it? Um, but so we're talking about bulimia, but also you nearly died, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. All those years of surfing and bloody sepsis got uh, me. Yeah. Yeah. Begins with an S. Yeah. <laughs> Surfing sepsis. Not, it's not the same, sadly. No, it's not. No, <laughs> no. Well, there's some people out there going to not know what it is, but it's blood poisoning, isn't it? Extreme yeah. blood poisoning. Yeah, yeah. Gone. So, I it was literally about four months after I came, come, I'd come out of Love Island. I was living in Portugal at the time I went into Love Island, so I'd had to. I actually moved in with my manager. I lived with her for three months, and. I was away from the ocean. I was kind of going out and like drinking with like mates. And then I was also working like every single day. Doing? And just kind of like Modern. the post Love Island bits, like oh, right. all, you know, yeah, yeah. The events or whatever. Um, and I still to this day think that it was purely just like running myself into the ground, a new change of life. I really wasn't enjoying being in London. I'd never, I'd never lived in the UK since I was literally like 15. Mm. So it was like this whole new thing. And I was like, am I, ha is this really what I want to do? Like, do I really want to be here? And I think I was kind of just running away from it and just getting, making myself so but, busy. But you, you were over your bulimia at this point. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, that was, that was gone. Um, but just making myself so busy and like really ran myself down. I got quite ill. Um, mum called me and she said, are you, like, are you okay? You've not like, really messaged me back much. I'm just checking you're okay. I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. Just got a bit of a cold. Like, I'm just going to chill. And I, I was like, I'm coming on my period. Like, probably just feeling like a bit low. And she was like, look, I'm going to come to London. I'm going to drive to London tomorrow. We're going to go shopping for the day. Have a nice day. And I like, just want to spend, like, spend mm -hmm. some time with you. I was like, yeah, yeah, like, sounds great. So she drove up to London and I felt horrendous that morning. Like, really, really bad. And I was like, this is a bit weird. So I called mum and I was like, I actually, maybe you might need to take me to the hospital. And for me to say that, I would like never. Like, I would mm. walk around with like broken fingers and like everything for like weeks and I wouldn't even like flinch at it. And um, she was like, oh, okay, a bit rogue, but fine, we'll go. And I kind of thought I'll get some like antibiotics, I'll be out in like mm. an hour. So they check your temperature and they check your heart rate. And my heart rate was literally through the roof. And I have like a really low resting heart rate mm. anyway. Um, and they said to my mum, they're like, okay, she's septic. And they literally pulled me straight in. And I didn't really know what that was. I was quite delirious at the time and I didn't mm. really figure out what was going on. Um, and next thing but I knew- But you've got to be poisoned. You've got to be poisoned by something or something inside so mine you, right? Was the, the scariest thing and the reason why it got so dangerous was because it took them eight days to figure out where the infection was coming from. So it starts from an infection within your body somewhere. It can either be from a cut from like external mm -hmm. or, or your body be starts poisoning from itself. Inside, because, yeah. yeah. So at first, because I had like pains in my stomach, they thought it was maybe a kidney infection. Mm. Then they thought it was an appendix. But for each of those things, they have to try Test. the antibiotics. I really and if it doesn't work, work in 24 hours, they've got to figure out what it is and where it's coming from. So for eight days in there, I was just getting more and more and more and more infected. So your mum's with you? Mum's, yeah, mum's in hospital every day. Um, and I, I'd never slept, I'd never slept in a hospital before in my life. I'd like never been ill at all with mm. like any kind of like yeah, my illness. body, like making myself. And I think that was the weirdest thing. I was like, never saw myself as that person in the hospital. Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm fit, I'm healthy. Like it would, that would never happen to me. Um, and then day nine, my blood infection level was, um, was like two. It was getting worse. Yeah, right? it was like high 200s. And they basically said to, they basically had said to my mum, which she hadn't told me was, 
it gets to a certain level where the clean blood basically goes to all of your organs so into your chest so your limbs at some point which is why a lot of people have like the amputations and things like that mm. and I literally I looked at when she mum told me I literally looked at her and I said mum I've got no kids I've had for a 24 year old I've had like as far as they go like a pretty sick life the thought of me living with with no limbs that's not a life like for me you know like I, I can't I wouldn't be able to make that decision because they kind of said you know it gets to that point where you have to you like you lose die, the limbs you to amputate keep your, or you die. Yeah, and I was like, or you risk it and you you just carry on the, and it, you just hope that you get better before it all kind of like packs in. And I said to mum, there there would never be a moment where I'd be like, yeah, okay, like amputate. That's, I couldn't. I think for me, mentally doing like what I've done growing up and as active as I am. I don't think I could have made that like that decision. Well, sadly, some people don't have that decision to be able to make. So you're exactly. very awfully lucky for sure. And you know how yeah. quickly they got. Honestly, the NHS were incredible. Mm. Like there was days where I felt so so low and like I could was never going to get better. And I remember like I had to tell mum like just go have a walk. Like you go like have some time. And but they still wasn't. They still hadn't worked. They out still hadn't figured out where it was coming from. Your compass. You were able to talk. You were able to communicate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. I was. To be, I was quite like alert because I was on so many like painkillers and like literally like filled with like fluids and. But none of the antibiotics were working. They finally like came to me and said, "Okay, we still can't figure out where it is. Going to do some more tests." And I remember sitting in my bed being like, "Okay." you for so many years worked on like your mental power and even like competing, like you're always working on like the power of the mind and like controlling your mind. And I literally sat there in bed and I writ like wrote these affirmations for like an hour, just wrote it down, 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 down. Cause I was really defeated by that point, like mentally really defeated. I was like kind of like giving up point. Mm. And I was like, no, Laura, like you've, there's the only one person now that can fit like fix this and like make it better. And it's like, it's you, like these doctors are doing everything and nothing's helping. And I don't know if it's coincidence or like whatever, but that afternoon they came back and they're like, okay, we found where the infection's from. And I was out of hospital like three days later, which- And where was it coming from? It was, so I had um, like ovarian cysts, which is yeah. super common in women. Like, yeah. I think- Sorry, it, I'm saying yes, only because I went out with a girl that had ovarian cysts. Yeah, 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 and they're really common. They're not like an issue. But how was it that they were bleeding? Or no, they? so one of them got infected yeah. um, just from being really run down was basically what it is. And yeah. I- they also, said, you said earlier, and I changing what, lifestyle. But also, you said earlier that at a certain point you didn't have a period for like four years yeah. or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did that have an effect? Um, no, they said that I wasn't like it wasn't really a thing. I mean, they'd always kind of like. Did you fled. worry that there was a connection between your bulimia? Oh yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and the yeah, fact yeah. That You hadn't had periods, and then these cysts occurring. Well, they did a lot of like they did a, some checks as well, like in town, just to, like make sure, sure like there was nothing like lasting maybe from the bulimia mm. or like whatever. Like just they did like a whole body like kind of scan. Um, but yeah, no, literally one of the cysts got infected and became in the space of. So when they found it, it was three centimeters. That's big. Yeah. And then in the space, so they then started with the right antibiotic for this. They found out what it was. It's treated me for two days and nothing was working. You know, I was like, had them being pumped into my arm. Nothing was working. Wasn't like fighting it. I was getting worse. So they checked the abscess again and it had grown to nine centimeters. So then I went into, yeah, well, yeah, it's like that. Um, so it had grown like in, in three days, like well pretty big yeah. um and then they're like okay we're happy to have an operation i was like yeah now like i want to go like right now just to do it and they're like okay well we can either put you to sleep i was like honestly i don't even need any painkillers like just get this sh 
out. Get on I with don't it. even care. Yeah. Um, and yeah, honestly, those guys are incredible. That night, I was feeling like pretty much sweet. Well, not sweet. I was. It took me a good six months to get <laughs> well, I mean, better. But, but what you're I was saying feeling is like the was, national health looked after you pretty, pretty good. Yeah, 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 amazing. Really, really, really well. No, so one of the, the greatest institutions in the United Kingdom, I would suggest. Definitely. A lot of others. So there's you. What's happening now? Um, well, like I said before, trying to got a YouTube channel. Yeah, so YouTube is underway. Hopefully, how easy is that? It's not that easy, mate. I will tell you that Do right you know now. What? Yeah, my organisation skills. My team and manager, my mum, my manager will all tell you I am so <laughs> bad. <laughs> well, what are you so bad at? I mean, I just find it absolutely confusing. To be yeah, me too. Me too. But I some people like, don't. My life was so people simple. People like Jamal Edwards find it very, very easy and understandable. Yeah. They can deconstruct it very, very clearly. So for me, it's like a passion project. It's mental health and fitness, two things that I'm really, really passionate about. Mm. And kind of putting them together and I'm getting other um, people on to chat about how fitness has implemented them in their mental health. Um, in positive and negative yeah, I can, I want to, I think I listen to so many things where they speak about mental health and I just think it sounds sometimes so like no light at the end of the tunnel. Mm. And I'd like to do something that just seem, you know, gives a, gives like a way out, you know, and like this is, you know, I struggle with this and this was how I got out, you know, like there's a solution um, rather than be like, oh, this is my story and it was really, really sad and kind of um, like just, yeah. Because I'm going to tell you my surf story. Because <coughs> when I was a kid, we used to go on holiday to Pembrokeshire, which is... My mum's from there. Is she? Yeah. It's a great little, great place. We used to go to a place called Broadhaven and Little Haven. Really good. And they had what were known... Well, it was a bit of two-ply. You know what two-ply is? It's a bit yeah, wood. Yeah. And it curled at the end and they called themselves... They were boogie boards yeah, before yeah, boogie yeah, boards yeah, were invented. Yeah. They were actually like just... old a, school it's, ones. It's a plank of wood, <laughs> yeah. right? How on earth are you... And you literally could, if you picked the right way, I mean, you literally, you waited and it... Oh God, it was freezing. There were no wet suits yeah. and anything like that. But... Mate, it was just fantastic fun. And I've always wanted to surf. And so my dad spoke to a local guy who had some surfboards. And so they came along. I mean, literally with these Bismarcks, these really long boards, <laughs> right? And we were in the shallows and my brother decided to stand up on it. And as he stood up on it, it went underneath him right into the back of my head. And I still have a scar behind my Oh, my head. God, you got surf injuries. God. Ah, don't worry about me. <laughs> Charlie, don't surf. Get camp surfs. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, he knocked me under the wall and literally knocked me out, actually. It was a good shot. I know he'd been waiting to get his own back for some time, and I swear to this day he did it on purpose, but um, <laughs> my surf injury. But can you learn the age? Yes, 100%. Old farts can surf? Yeah. Really? It depends how much you want it. Oh, yeah, I, th I do want it. I just don't want to do it in like, well, no disrespect, I'd go to Newquay to look at the waves. Oh, God, no, go don't to do it there. Nice, nice hotels and like drink nice I, red um, wine and look out at the ocean. But I see people, I see I see old kids like myself going out there going, yeah, man, this is going to be easy. And you just see them drowning, you know. I you think that surfing's a massive literally drowning, egos. but you just see them like sitting on the end of a board for like, you know, watch. I'm just waiting for the right way to come. <laughs> no, mate, you haven't got a clue what you're doing. Just get off the board, go into the bar, dry off. Have a pint of Old Fart's Ale, open a pack of salt vinegar crisps. I think, though, a massive part of it yep. is the floating around out there. It's just a place where it's always been safe for me. When I struggled with school, it was like, okay, I'm just going to go surf and everything will be okay. Everything just goes. I think you have so many things to think about. You're paddling, you're in the ocean, you're lying on a surfboard, you're trying to catch a wave, get the wave, stand up it, and then get back out. Mm. Like, you don't have time to think about all the other pointless things. Like so how many on, times you know? would you stand up 
in a in a an afternoon, for instance. Depends how perfect, what, how no, much of a perfect way you're going for. Yeah, 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 yeah. But um, like fifteen times in an hour. That's because you're good. Yeah, but. But I mean, I mean, it depends. It depends. But, but once you get it, I mean, even I can remember going back to me on the little two-ply plank. You know what? Once you got one and you went all the way yeah. to the beach, man, it's like, yeah, there's a big smile on the face, Yeah, no, right? but that's thing, like, you can't take anything away from that feeling of, like, no, doing no, it. No, 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 and it's even like being, when, totally being it, yeah, one with nature. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's like being your own kite, isn't it? It's yeah. like being lifted up by the wind, you know what I mean? It's been... We, um, we did a thing, actually, with some, like, war veterans that, like, is it war veterans? Is that the right word? Like, yeah. Been to war? Yeah. Um, that had um ptsd exactly yeah post-traumatic stress disorder that, so it's an area that i know something like, about about periods <laughs> no, no. yeah ptsd so they came down and we basically taught them to surf because this guy had done like a lot of studies on like how the mind works when you are surfing and um he was like i think it could i think it can cure it so not cure it but basically like Help give them to, something yeah. like else a, it's to think exciting about. b yeah, it's a yeah, challenge yeah. it's what Service personnel would get exactly, would get, so would get, it was definitely kind of, get something out of it. I would suggest, yeah, yeah. but anyone can, can't they? Yeah, no, if definitely. Into it. So we took them for an hour, and there was one guy who he'd but he'd obviously like been through like hell and back, um, and his wife was on the beach, and she was saying she was like, I don't know how well this is going to go. Like if he's in the water and he has like some sort of like you know mm, attack. Like, attack thing then i'm not sure i we just need to make sure that he's like safe and stuff so we everyone was out there like everybody was comfortable in the ocean enough to like kind of get him back in if so say anything had happened and the guy literally was out there for four hours straight he was like i don't want to come he don't i don't want to come mm. in like he was so happy um and his wife was like crying on the beach and it uh, definitely for us that you know surfing is everything anyway but to be able to share that with somebody and change their life was so so sick. So there is a there is a chance of the surf school down the line. Oh, for sure. I love sharing my sport with other people. And it's nice to live by the ocean, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I could, I would. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh no, I for me, even living in London, I I've really struggled with it. Um, in the last year, I have to go away every like month, just for a week, to surf because otherwise my you brain do sound like just... you know what you you do sound like you're living a very very nice life now can I just say that just, I have to go away oh, no, every, my life I think you're gonna say I have to go away every year every every no, every no, 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 no. I have to go away every month but it's it's more your air miles must be good not even really because I go to like Portugal yeah what's wrong with that great fish great yeah, wine yeah no it's my favorite place I, that's where I'll be back to so and you speak the language understand yeah. like everything um, yeah. But yeah, that was like where I grew up, so that's that's home. Um, and is that and is that the long term future? Yeah, for sure. That's that's yeah, that's my home. <laughs> but being here is great. You know, the things I'm doing at the moment is what I dreamt of like doing a year ago, and I'm now doing the things I'm really passionate about. You know, like when I came out of Love Island, I had to kind of do all that like Love Island bit. Um, but now I'm doing the things, things that I'm that you really, want. really passionate about. And I care about, you know, like even like having this chat with you is like so sick and I'm like stoked to be here. But there's well, so many likewise. other things, you know, that I I want to do that I'm in this time of my life is like the perfect yeah, time. Yeah, exactly. And, and so I can be 25, here for You're 25 now. years old and you've already achieved quite a lot and you've already on, been on been a bit of a journey already, haven't mm -hmm. you? But that is, you know, the man fantastic thing about life. For sure. I wouldn't change a thing. Like even, you know, the sepsis, the bulimia, the, you know, all the things, you know, because they, they came with so many like other amazing things. And I think the things that you learn but when you have from crazy them. highs and crazy lows, 
is you learn how to get through them. But they're all rungs on your ladder, aren't they? Yeah, for sure. No, I I love like every single stage of it that I've had to go through. And I think I wouldn't be the same person without it. So it's not so so bad. (laughs) Definitely not so bad. And it's lovely meeting you. Lovely to meet you too. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of The Kempcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate and review. You can find me on Twitter at Ross Kemp and on Instagram at Ross Kemp TV. This has been a Freshwater and the Chancer Collective production. Thanks to the team at One Fine Play. And until the next episode, goodbye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.